Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Gigabit Nation. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and we're here every time to help get um, broad, broad, broadband everywhere it needs to be in this United States. Um, last week, the FCC uh, had a v- big victory for net neutrality, but uh, there may still be a lot of people that are still a little unsure about uh, what is the significance of net neutrality and how this ruling uh, last week will affect consumers and businesses that use the Internet. Uh, Today, I'm very happy to have on the show Harold Feld, who is the Senior VP at Public Knowledge, an an advocacy group, Uh, and he is here to explain uh, some of the potential impacts of the ruling and what this is going to mean as we go forward, uh, especially in the context of um, community and municipal broadband networks. Harold, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So let's start with um, what is net neutrality? I think a lot of people have been following it and are interested in it and so forth, but I'm not sure sometimes if people really fully understand what those rules mean. So maybe we should start with that and kind of go forward from there. Right. And, you know, we talk about this as being the net neutrality decision, but it's important to recognize this is much, much bigger than that because um, the FCC, in order to um, uh, to uh, make sure that they had enforceable net neutrality rules, um, had to reclassify broadband as a Title II telecommunication service. Um, it had been um, a uh, telecommunication service until uh, the Supreme Court almost exactly 11 years ago in a case called Brand X had said the FCC had authority to classify it as something else called information service. Um, but um, the, uh, the whole idea of net neutrality came as a result of when we moved away from being a telecommunication service, or sometimes we call it a Title II service, under uh, mm-hmm. because it's Title II of the Communications Act. So the concern has been that because you have this service that everybody's dependent on for communication, whether it's uh, watching uh, um, streaming media or trying to do business or um, trying to uh, follow the election, like, for example, watching uh, um, the dramatic uh, sit-in uh, uh, by the Democrats um, in the uh, House uh, yesterday, um, that um, we want to make sure that providers of that service, the broadband providers, can't block or degrade or otherwise use their position as the middleman between you and the person you're trying to reach or the server you're trying to access uh, and uh, uh, you know, leverage that um, in a way that uh, um, can uh, uh, interfere with what you're trying to do online. So we call that principle net neutrality. Um, the uh, the idea again is that as with a phone call, you know, you put in the phone number, the phone doesn't care who you're trying to reach. You know, the network just works. It doesn't listen to your conversation and decide, you know, well, your conversation is not as useful as somebody paying me money, you know, so I'll uh, let somebody else break in on your conversation if they want, or you want to call Domino's, but, you know, Little Caesars is uh, um, giving me uh, money so that when you call Domino's, the phone asks you and said, I can connect you faster to Little Caesars. How about if I do that? Um, or you can hold for five minutes and then get to Domino's. Those are all kinds of ways in which the uh, network, if it's permitted to, can interfere with your choice of what you want to do online and your ability of what you want to do online. So net neutrality um, is just basically a set of rules that the FCC adopted to prevent that from happening. 
Uh, and uh, um, in this order, they adopted uh, three bright line rules. One was you couldn't uh, uh, block or degrade uh, um, the uh, internet traffic. Um, you couldn't uh, um, have paid prioritization, which is you know essentially the flip side. Um, you know, pay for a fast lane, better treatment. Um, not by the way that the subscriber can't get faster service. You know, I can get a 5 uh, megabit down, a 10 megabit down, a 25 megabit down, and, and you know that's all fine. But the issue is if I'm paying for 25 megabits down because I want to stream Netflix, but you know Comcast says, well, you know what, um, I'd rather you know have uh, um, you stream uh, my service instead. So I'm going to prioritize when you uh, um, you know try to stream Comcast streaming service. You know it'll come over at 50 megabits, whereas if you try to stream my rival Netflix, it'll only come over at about maybe five megabits per second. So um, the FCC rules say you can't do that, you can't block, you can't uh, degrade, you can't have the third parties pay for prioritized access um, to the end user. Um, and uh, finally, there was this fourth rule, which is called the general conduct rule, which is essentially, because we know you're all clever, um, anything you do that essentially uh, uh, acts that we haven't thought of explicitly, that still has the same effect of uh, um, of letting the uh, network provider, um, you know, pick winners and losers online, uh, that's also a violation of net neutrality. Wow. All right. And so the end product is a freer Internet, is the, the, the sum and substance of everything that we've been fighting for for the last, whatever, 10, 12 years and then some. Yep. Yeah, okay. and, 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 and that's what's important here is that, you know, what this does is say um, – the network is not going to get to decide. You, the user, are going to get to, de uh, to decide. You know, if you like one service more than another, if you want to try some new streaming service rather than uh, um, you know, Netflix, then guess what? You can do that. Um, and uh, there is nothing you – know, Netflix can't you know, pay the provider, the broadband provider, to get in the way, and the broadband provider can't decide to get in the way. Um, you, know, you have the freedom to choose. Okay. Now, this – falls in line with uh, those folks who say that the Internet is a utility, and as such, um, we're beyond just a commodity option that people can mess around with from, you know, as a provider or an incumbent or whatever, um, that, that the utility is vital to um, businesses and uh, individuals and so forth, and that can't be messed with is really what we're what we're saying is that we're this is too important for them for the incumbents to create this gatekeeper role and all the negatives that that implies yeah and that that's exactly right you know and that's always been the the debate around this where you know, people say broadband is a utility, and uh, some people think that's a terrible thing to say because, you know, how can you, you know, deal with kind of these old services like electricity and, you know, where it'd be, you know, heavy-handed regulation, blah, blah, blah. You know, on the other hand, there are a lot of people who say, look, you know, we've always recognized in this country um, that there are a certain class of things, a very small number of services that can't be left to the market because they're just too important. In you know, in the the uh, 18th century when we just founded the country and going into the 19th century, that was the mail. You know, it doesn't mean you didn't have private mail carriers. You did, but it meant that we had a uh, um, an actual United States mail service that you know, took mail from everybody and went everywhere, even when commercial package delivery didn't and still doesn't. Um, we, uh, uh, we've said this about electric power. Uh, we've said this about water. We've said this in the uh, 20th century about the telephone. Um, and now in the 21st century, we recognize that we have to say this about broadband. We are just 
too dependent on it. It's too important to our economy, too important to us as individuals, um, you know, too important for participation in society um, to, as Chairman Wheeler said when, uh, um, you know, asked about this uh, at, at, a pre at the press conference when the FCC approved the order a year ago, he said the Internet has become too important to let the companies make the rules. Um, there has to be somebody, um, you know, in the, the government that makes sure that everybody in the country gets access to some basic level of service um, and that, uh, um, you know, when you're using that service, you can count on it to work and count on it to work uh, um, in a way that, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, does not uh, interfere with your choice of you know, what you want to do online or where you want to go or how you're going to use it. Okay. Now, by the way, what what is Brand X? I know it was a court ruling of serious magnitude, but uh, what, what were the particulars of that whole deal? So, so this takes us through the history uh, of this. And, uh, you know, as I say, when you go back to how the Internet evolved – um, well, you know, things started out back in the 1980s and then into the 1990s with dial-up, where we had the phone system, which was, um, you know, regulated as a common carrier. And one of the things that the FCC had said was, we're going to require that the phone system be neutral, that um, you can plug any device into the phone system that won't harm the network, um, that uh, uh, you can run any kind of information over the phone system um, you know, or any service over the phone system that you want that's compatible with the network. So that allowed things like the dial-up modem uh, to come into being. Um, and uh, um, when we started to move into DSL, um, the capacity to use DSL was also then regulated as a telephone service. We kept it, um, you know, that's why we had all these DSL resellers and, um, you know, people were able to offer DSL service. Um, then along came cable modem, and uh, the FCC um, said, well, you know what, we're now going to make a new decision, and we're going to say that this thing isn't a telecommunication service anymore. This broadband cable modem service that the uh, um, the cable guys are bringing out, um, we're going to decide that that's an information service because it combines both telecommunications and computer processing and other things that are traditionally considered information services. So that was challenged in court, and the lead plaintiff on that was an, IS, was a, a, an ISP called Brandex. Brandex, which was a DSL reseller um, and wanted, act, wanted to be able to resell cable service as well, um, challenged the, um, the FCC, as did a number of other organizations. And uh, um, the challenge was, uh, hey, FCC, you got this wrong. Um, you know, the statute makes it very clear that broadband is a telecommunication service, so uh, you can't classify this cable modem stuff as an information service. You have to classify it as a telecommunication service and make it open the same way that the telephone service traditionally was. Um, the, uh, uh, we actually won um, in the uh, Ninth Circuit at the, uh, when we initially appealed the order, um, but the FCC, this was under uh, um, the Republicans, Chairman uh, uh, Michael Powell, who is now head of the National uh, Cable Telecommunications Association, um, appealed this up to the Supreme Court. Um, and in this case, which was called Brandex um, for Brandex ISP, the ISP that brought the challenge, um, uh, the uh, Supreme Court said, well, no, we hold that this statute is ambiguous about um, whether this new technology, cable modem, broadband, um, can be treated as a telecommunication service or as an information service. And since the statute's ambiguous, the FCC gets to decide. Um, and we look at what the FCC did and said, all right, you know, the FCC acted reasonably under the general canons of administrative law. Um, and so therefore, um, we uh, we have, you know reversed the Ninth Circuit and affirmed the FCC's determination that cable modem service 
is an information service, which meant cable operators could offer it under whatever terms they wanted, did not have to uh, uh, let other people uh, uh, offer to uh, resell their service in the same way that telecommunications um, guys had done and uh, um, were able to um, you know, block or censor or degrade or otherwise do what they wanted with the, the content. Um, the, uh, uh, the FCC then moved very quickly after the Supreme Court uh, um, had issued that opinion um, to um, reclassify uh, DSL from a telecommunication service to an information service um, and to declare that the emerging mobile broadband that was uh, coming onto the mobile phone network uh, was also an information service. So at that point, everything was an information service and uh, um, the, uh, there weren't any rules anymore to protect uh, uh, consumers and then, uh, um, with, but the FCC had issued something which is called an Internet Policy Statement, which said, you know, basically, don't block uh, uh, people from getting lawful content, don't prevent people from putting, uh, um, from attaching uh, uh, things to the network if they don't hurt the network, um, you know, uh, uh, and uh, generally don't don't do bad stuff. Um, so. Uh, you know that was uh, that was the state of the law ten years ago, um, and uh, um, then of course the cable companies did do bad stuff. Um, Comcast decided that they were going to block peer-to-peer -peer applications um, and spent a year lying about that. When you asked them, they said, "No, we're not blocking." And then you know there was a um, the Associated Press paid to have a test conducted, um, which proved pretty conclusively, yeah, Comcast is, in fact, totally blocking peer-to-peer -peer, uh, uh, applications, notably something called BitTorrent. So um, we, being public knowledge and uh, another organization, Free Press, filed a complaint with the FCC under this Internet policy statement, and, you know, we won at the FCC. Um, and they said, Comcast, you're not allowed to block BitTorrent. And then we went up to the uh, um, to the D.C. Circuit. Comcast appealed it, and the D.C. Circuit said, "Yeah, that's nice, FCC, but you can't just say we have a policy statement that you know says don't do nasty things." Um, so no, you can't stop Comcast from doing this. Go back, you know, and figure something else out. Uh, so uh, that was Brand X, and then that led to a number of other. You know, rulemaking proceedings and challenges that you know sort of culminated in uh, uh, the final court decision that got resolved last week. And so, what was the incumbent's um, argument or you know case that they were saying? What I mean, you know, no, no, we actually should have the right to um, you know do what we do because it's our pipes as one person. Right. Yeah, and, you know, it changed over the years. The first, you know, early on, um, before people got real attached to uh, uh, the Internet when this still seemed like it was going to be – when it was still, for most people, like a luxury, they, they were, you know, we should totally have the right to do whatever we want because it's our pipes. And, you know, there was this famous statement from a fellow by the name of Ed Whitaker who, uh, um, you know, uh, um, was uh, – um, you know, uh, then the uh, CEO of uh, um, of AT and T, who said, "Hi, you know, Google and all those other guys, they think they're going to be able to reach our customers over our pipes for free." Well, you know, forget that; they will totally have to pay to reach our customers. Meaning, of course, you, the customer, subscribe to the broadband service, and then the the actual providers of the services you want to get to, like YouTube, would then have to pay so that you could reach them through the subscription you already paid for. Um, you know, and you know, initially the the companies just said, yeah, we could totally do that because we should be able to do that. That turned out not to be very popular. So then they switched to the well, you know, services like YouTube and then later Netflix and all these other they're they're these terrible bandwidth hogs that are hogging up all the internet and so uh, um, and uh, uh, you know we need to make extra money from them to pay for all that extra internet that you're going to need. 
that was not particularly very true. Um, and uh, so then when it was very clear that that wasn't particularly true either, um, they started switching again to saying, well, you know, we, we just think, uh, um, you know, uh, um, we promise not to do anything bad. Just please don't regulate us. Um, and maybe there'll be some good things that we could do with this prioritization. There'll be some wonderful medical service or, or you know, unicorn or whatever that's going to be, uh, um, you know, awesomely wonderful. Wonderful if we don't have the capacity to innovate, because as we all know, cable companies are the best innovators in the world. So, you know, uh, other than, of course, you know, if you're talking about online, you know, below the line fees and everything, they are really great at innovating around that. But, you know, what they said was, well, we, the cable companies and the phone companies, you know, we need to, we promise not to do anything bad. We just need to have the freedom to innovate, except, you know, as I said, their great innovation, actually, which was one of the things that pushed this over the edge, was to try to charge Netflix um, extra money in order to be able to have the capacity, um, you know, at the interconnection point to uh, to actually, you know, reach the customers and people on Comcast Network and Verizon Network and AT&T Network, you know, were like, I can't watch my Netflix and I'm paying money for this broadband subscription so I can watch Netflix, you know, and what's going on? And Comcast was like, well, Netflix, if you pay us more money, you know, your stuff will get through. And people were like, yeah, that may be innovation. You know, maybe you, Comcast, think that's a great innovation, but we people think that's a terrible innovation. So, you know, that finally pushed the FCC to say, okay, the only way we can get rid of this um, is to have these net neutrality rules. And the only way we can have the net neutrality rules um, is to reclassify broadband as a telecommunication service and basically say, yeah, this is a utility, meaning an essential service that people need and therefore have to have access to um, and therefore can't let the companies decide who gets to subscribe and what they get to reach you know, and, uh, uh, and what services they can use. Got it. So now, um, as you know, my, you know, my big concern is always about uh, community broadband and specifically you know, public uh, networks and so forth. Does the um, ruling last week have will it have any impact on those states that have uh, ruled that they can't that that communities that that cities can't um, create market uh, public internet network services? Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting because, as you know, in, when the FCC first tried to uh, um, uh, to do uh, net neutrality rules um, back in 2010, after they lost in Comcast under the Internet Policy Statement, so they wanted to do these uh, net neutrality rules, but they said, you know what, we uh, – um, we uh, don't want to reclassify as Title II telecommunications. Um, that was politically very difficult. Um, and so they said, well, we're going to decide that a different provision of the law, there's a provision of the law that people call Section 706, because it was Section 706 of the Telecommunications Act of 1996, which says, you know, the FCC has a responsibility to encourage deployment of broadband um, and say we're gonna we're gonna say that that gives us authority to do things that encourage deployment of broadband and remove barriers to the investment in infrastructure. Um, and that it was very it was not at all clear when the FCC did that that um, the court was going to agree with them that 706 actually provided authority to do things or whether it was just a general statement of policy. Um, and the court said, okay, 706 actually does provide the FCC with authority to do things. There were different reasons why it didn't like the net neutrality rules um, that the FCC adopted in 2010. But one of the things that came out of that um, when the court issued its you know, decision in a, um, in a case called Verizon versus FCC in 2014 um, was it said, well, the Section 706 stuff, you know, gives the FCC authority to remove 
uh, barriers to uh, um, to investment. And one of the the judges had said, well, you know, it seems to me Section 706 is really designed to deal with these laws that prevent local governments from uh, um, uh, from uh, uh, you know uh, building their own networks or deploying networks. So um, the FCC seized on that, and in 2015, they issued um, an order with regard to two uh, community networks that wanted to expand and couldn't expand because of statutory restrictions, one in Chattanooga, um, the other in uh, Wilson, North Carolina. Um, and uh, uh, that case is now pending before the Sixth Circuit, and they it's been brief. They had oral argument. We're waiting for the court decision there. Um, technically, the open internet order, you know, the F, the DC Circuit's decision last week did not touch on this question. So in some ways, it doesn't matter. Um, in other ways, however, they did repeat much more explicitly that yeah, when we said 706 was a source of authority, we meant it. You know, and you know, it really does give the FCC authority, although they didn't, you know, say um, anything about uh, preempting these state restrictions, but you know, said. You know what? This is uh, a separate source of authority and one that lets the FCC uh, uh, actually do stuff. So, to some degree, it may help because, to the extent that uh, um, you know the the argument has been made over in the Sixth Circuit that uh, uh, well, you know the you know the DC circuit didn't really need it about 706 um it's clear that they meant it so um you know it may help but otherwise this should doesn't really have an impact one way or the other um with regard to these particular laws but it does help states and localities in other ways how so well so Embracing broadband as a utility does a number of important things. First of all, it has made it possible for the FCC and the states to expand the funding that we use right now to provide for provision of telephone networks in high-cost rural areas um, in, uh, for poor people uh, through a federal program called Lifeline, um, to expand these to um, the uh, – um, uh, to uh, um, uh, to uh, broadband services. So um, where you have states that are looking to build out or localities that are looking to build out, they can now apply for this money for broadband networks and be eligible to receive um, this kind of money. Um, in many states, um, there, uh, there are funds that uh, uh, may become available. Um, additionally, though, there is um, just a recognition that it is now an important part of our government policy to make sure that um, we, uh, we provide this to everyone. Um, and that means, number one, if you are a municipal network operating uh, already or you're in a place where you can build it, um, you are now eligible for certain kinds Certain, sorry, certain kinds of rights of interconnection. Um, you have to get backhaul. You have to, uh, um, you know, uh, have access to the cloud. Um, and uh, um, one of the things about uh, um, about this uh, case was it said, yeah, the FCC, because this is now a telecommunications service, can also um, regulate interconnection. Um, and make sure that interconnection is provided on just and reasonable terms. That's the statutory uh, phrase. So, you know, when you are in a situation where, you know, you are a locality that builds out a network, but you have to uh, rely on the local telecommunications carrier um, to uh, to handle your, uh, your backhaul traffic, um, you can now... Uh, um, you know, uh, complain to the FCC if they are charging you monopoly rates um, or re refusing to sell to you because they're trying to drive you out of business. So um, there are a number of ways in which the laws that we created uh, in the 20th century in order to promote competition in telecommunications services, in order to make sure that everybody have access to telecommunications when that was the telephone, will now also potentially apply to broadband services and will again be usable to make sure that we have uh, access to the broadband services we need. 
Hmm. So it um, it, they, it behooves cities uh, both have, that have already built out networks and those planning to build out networks to understand these impacts that last week made possible. Yes, I think that's right. And, you know, the problem is because of the scare campaigns that, uh, um, that the incumbents have put out there when they were fighting this and talking about how awful it was going to be and you know how burdensome it was going to be. Um, many people have looked at this as you know being something that would discourage um, or make it much more difficult for uh, uh, localities or states to uh, uh, to either work with networks or form partnerships with networks. But it creates a lot of opportunities as well and conveys a lot of rights on the um, um, you know, providers of competing networks and competing network services um, because part of the whole purpose of the Telecom Act of 1996 to encourage that kind of competition and to protect competitors from the incumbents. So, um, you know, and one of the reasons why the incumbents did not want to be classified as Title II uh, under any circumstances was precisely because it brought all these laws back that uh, um, are designed to break open monopolies and promote competition and protect consumers. So um, I think that uh, um, you know localities or states that looked at this in the past um, and decided that uh, um, you know under the old state of the law that uh, it wasn't worth it for them to do or that it created some difficulties uh, may want to take another look uh, and uh, decide. Uh, um, if the uh, um, if the fact that now that the D.C. Circuit has affirmed the FCC's reclassification, um, you know, creates some new opportunities. So it's basically it's kind of like time to regroup from a policy span, uh, standpoint, both at the you know, the local and the state level. Would be how I look at it. Yes. Yeah, and this is, I mean, in addition to, to this decision, um, this is a very good time for people to, to uh, um, you know, sort of take a step back and regroup. This has been the dominating policy fight for about 10 years now. Is this going to be a telecommunication service? Is this going to be, you know, recognized as a utility? Or is this going to continue to be an information service? Essentially, are we going to treat this like the 21st century version of the telephone, something that we, you know, that everybody needs to have in order to be able to do business or, you know, uh, uh, stay in touch with the, with the, you know, their families? Um, or are we going to view this as being the 21st century equivalent of cable TV? You know, something that, yeah, it's important and, and uh, um, it occupies an important place in our society, but you know we don't regulate it as a utility. We still look at it as you know just something that's kind of a luxury that people uh, you know if you don't have cable, okay, you don't have cable. But um, you know if you don't have any kind of way to communicate with people, you know people are like well how can I reach you if I gotta you know tell you you know if you're looking for a job how can I reach you if you're you know uh, uh, trying to get an ambulance how can I reach you and you know traditionally that's been the telephone and now we're recognizing it's going to be broad. So now that we've effectively resolved that major question, and you know there there are possibilities of appeals to the Supreme Court, but most legal scholars agree that this is not a case that the Supreme Court is likely to take. Um, so now that we've gotten the big question resolved, it's time to step back and take a look and say, okay, you know, are our policies working? Um, if you look at the United States and broadband penetration, it's been flat for the last couple of years. We've reached about 80% penetration. That's pretty much as far as the whole deregulatory free market approach is going to take us. Um, and now that we've made that decision um, to say, okay, this is not like this is not a luxury like cable. This is a utility like electricity. Um, we need to ask ourselves, how are we going to get that last 20% online? Uh, and uh, we need to take a look um, at the policy choices that we're making um, and the, uh, um, the new policy choices that this legal classification you know, gives us um, and the tools that we now have and say, all right, maybe it's time for some new strategies. Maybe we need you know, to think about this whether it's building out municipally supported networks or uh, uh, 
um, looking for uh, different types of funding mechanisms uh, or uh, or something new um, that we haven't thought of uh, before. Um, this is a real uh, um, this is a good moment to uh, to step back and uh, um, and really uh, think about these questions. Okay. Now, um, I would also take it away. I, I would take away to the, from this the idea that um, those people who are your broadband champions in um, cities, counties, maybe at the state level, you now have more ammunition to go for to, to go in front of your city council or your board of uh, council. Um, you know, whatever the county uh, legislative bodies are, and make a better case because now you can say, hey, we're a utility, and we're not just a, uh, a channel for getting um, YouTube videos. We're, like, doing some serious stuff here, and so as a result, um, we need to, you know, pass this bond measure. We need to get... Uh, this uh, extra um, uh, funding and grants and so forth and so on, but basically it puts a um, an extra uh, oomph in the champions of broadband and community broadband uh, across the country. I would think, even in those states where there are uh, restrictions. Yeah, I mean, again, I think that's totally right because. This is, you know, you go in now to whoever the the people are who have been sitting on their hands for the last, uh, um, you know, 10 years and saying, ah, oh, well, you know, the market, whatever, you know, private sector market will save us, da, 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 da. and, you know, you come and you say, okay, what's your plan, you know, because – We've now recognized, we've now officially recognized, um, you know, as a country um, and had it blessed by you know, the courts that uh, broadband is important. More, you know, it belongs in that very small class of goods and services that people need, not just things that people want. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, if if we're a real city or a real state or a real county or whatever, um, then you got to have this. You know, nobody sitting here today would, you know, say when you're building, uh, you know, a new industrial park or a housing uh, um, development, you know, or whatever. Yeah, but you're not going to get electricity, you know, because mm, um, you know the market and you'll figure something out. Of course, you have, you, you know, you'd expect to get electricity. Yeah, nobody's going to move someplace without electricity. Nobody's going to work someplace without electricity. You can't even work without electricity, you know. And uh, um, if you live any place during the summer, uh, you know, these days, you know, you know, you, you need electricity for your air conditioning, you know. So, uh, um, you know, if we said, oh yeah, you know, your local electric company, you know, will only be able to serve you, you know, and uh, can do whatever they want about serving you, not serving you, charging whatever you they want, not charge, not you know, ripping you off whenever they want. Um, it's all up to them because the market. Um, you know, we'd look at them like they're crazy. So now, after this decision, you come in, you know, and you can say, look, guys, everybody agrees. This is, you know, like electricity, that you know, it's not just something you take for granted and hope the market, you know, will find. It's something that you got to uh, – um, and you as the, uh, the state government, the county government, um, you know, the local city government, whoever it is, you know, you got to tell all of your uh, uh, constituents either, uh, uh, yes, we have a plan to bring this to our community – um, you know, the market has clearly not done it. We need to do it, you know, or to look at them and shrug your shoulders and say, mm, I guess you guys all got to move somewhere else. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I, I can see, you know, and, and in essence, I think it comes back to, um, you know, uh, Hannah Sassman uh, and uh, and her, her work. And um, she... Uh, I was interviewing her for a report I'm be about to release next week, 
where you know we're dealing with urban broadband, and um, and the the gist of you know one of her biggest uh, you know points of this why we're doing all this is the need of us to have this be uh, classified as a utility because when you do that you basically get more leverage because for the same reason you just talked about you know you know you're not going to expect someone to move into a house without electricity or water um we're kind of at this point now with broadband and and her point was that you know the failure of champions in, in the urban areas to um make the case for utility is one of the reasons why we sort of look at urban areas differently than rural. I mean, rural, we, you know, we, we we're putting all this money and, and all of this kind of uh, resource to get broadband into those um, uh, those uh, areas, but we shrug our shoulders when we're talking about the urban areas because there's an AT&T store on every other corner and a Verizon store, uh, you know, every half mile. And so because of that, we have this thing in our brain that, oh, the urban areas are okay. Well, actually, they're not, as I take this whole thing. Huh. Right. Now, exactly. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that Title II classification addresses. And, you know, one of the first things the FCC did after – they, um, you know, adopted the reclassification was to move to change the Lifeline program. Uh, Lifeline right. is a federal program that, uh, um, you know, everybody has a little charge on their phone bill um, that, um, you know, goes to this. Um, and Lifeline is about making sure that everybody has some basic level of connectivity so that they can do things like call 911 when they have to, um, you know, find out if their kid has uh, um, got sick at school, um, you know, find out if they got the, uh, the job they applied for, all of these things that everybody just assumes you can do. Um, and uh, having Title II um, has given, you know, new tools for that affordability, but there has to be the local follow-up. We have to, you know, take that same idea and say, look, you know, you local guy, you local city council or, or uh, um, you know, whoever, um, this thing is so important that we have an official federal subsidy policy for it. But like all of the other utilities, that's not, you know, the federal government can't do it alone. So you, the, you know, one of the reasons why we have local governments is to make sure that local people are provided for. So it's exactly that, you know, exactly like Hannah was saying, um, you know, that uh, um, you can look around and say, yeah, there's plenty of broadband in the urban areas for $50 a month plus equipment rental fees plus, you know, everything else. And that assumes you can even get into the building because one of the big problems is you have – uh, um, you know, landlords for apartment buildings um, essentially take kickbacks for exclusive contracts with one provider or another. So it's a little monopoly for each building. So you know, the Comcast pays the local landlord you know an extra two or three hundred bucks a month. And you know, if you want to order a cheaper DSL service, um, they say, well, no, you can't. You have to order the more expensive Comcast service because we don't let the cheaper DSL guy get into the building. So. Uh, you know, there are all these things that local governments can do and step up in order to make sure that particularly in the poor areas and the low-income areas, um, and, you know, frankly, even for the not-so-low-income areas, because the amount of money that people are paying for communications in this country is just ridiculous. I mean, uh, um, so all of these things are things that local governments have a responsibility for. And let me talk about pricing, too, because that's another one of the things that's very important. We're having this debate right now. You know, the, the, the big pushback that the, uh, um, that the cable operators have been doing now in Congress has been saying, oh, well, you know, you all promised you wouldn't do price 
uh, you know, rate setting, you know, which is true. Nobody wants to go back to the old days where, you know, I used to do these things. They're called tariffs where, you know, back in the, you know, when we do hardcore when it was monopoly public uh, utilities, um, you know, you come in and you do these, you know, this is how much uh, money I spend and this is the cost factor and, you know, this is how much the rate will be and, you know, huge, complicated, painful proceedings. Um, and, you know, we nobody's going back to that. We're not saying this is, you know, Ma Bell, but the reality is that, um, you know, the uh, under cover of saying we're not going to do rate setting, um, the Republicans have been pushing um, a uh, bill, now an appropriations rider, that would say the FCC can't do, you know, anything relating to, cannot, uh, you know, do through any enforcement action or rule, you know, anything relating to a rate. And they talk about what's called, quote, you know, uh, post hoc rate regulation, which is Latin for after the fact. And I'm like, oh, so you're talking about enforcement. So you're talking about if you're gouged, if you're like being charged monopoly rates, or if, you know, there was a report released from the Senate today about how cable operators overcharge customers and then refuse to refund the overcharges. Um, you know, uh, um, so you're saying the FCC shouldn't even be allowed to enforce against that, that these guys should be free to rip everybody off and, uh, you know, continue to charge people, you know, more money than it costs in any other developed country to get slower broadband. Uh, and, you know, this is a place where, again, we don't have to leave it to the federal government. We can have, you know, localities say, you know what? One of our jobs is to prevent local, you know, our our citizens and our businesses from being ripped off by uh, uh, these guys. You know, what we had instead was a blitz by state lo- by lobbyists from the telcos and cables that goes through the states to basically deregulate all of the broadband-based services. So, you know, in a lot of states, the local public utility commission cannot even take a complaint. You know, because it used to be, you know, when they did this in the first time, they said, okay, you know what, well, we won't let the public utility commissions act on the complaints, but they'll receive complaints and they'll try to work it out, basically make them into ombudsmen. And that got so embarrassing because so many complaints were being filed that the lobbyists went into a number of these state legislatures and said, well, you know what, we'll just make it illegal for these agencies to even take the complaints. So now everything's fine because nobody can find out what's wrong. So this is a place where, frankly, local governments and state governments can take a look and say, you know, we got to recognize the times have changed. Um, you know, the the that uh, um, you know we made some dumb decisions back before we realized how important this was. But now, uh, uh, you know, as of last week, we recognize broadband is utility. You know, it's the law of the land. Um, and uh, that means we have a responsibility to step up um, and protect, uh, uh, you know, our, uh, um, you know, our residents, our businesses from uh, from being ripped off like this. Interesting. Now, do you think that um, I actually have a call coming in? Let's see what this is about. Hold on one sec. Hello, this is Mega Nation. Hello. Oh, hi. Hello. Yes, are you trying to reach Gigabit Nation? No, I was trying to reach the, the program. I was just listening. Yes, how can, how, how can we help you? Are you talking about net neutral? Uh, net neutrality, yes. Okay, yeah, I was just listening. Hello. I don't think that's working. All right. Um, well, I I'm hope you sorry. enjoy listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I um, let's let's go back to that. What you were starting to say before we got called. What, what were you saying? Um, I, I think we were discussing. I think you were actually about to ask me a question. Yes, I was about to. Yes, I was going to ask you about um, speed, and will the discussion of speed become an issue? 
In other words, if you say, if you, you know, if everybody were saying, um, you know, we're now dealing with this utility, does the issue of what's the speed um, allowed or enabled by the, the utility uh, is something that needs to be addressed as well? Yeah, I think that certainly one of the things that comes into this and sort of our general idea about how we look at utilities is, you know, it's not just check a box to show that it's there. Um, the, yeah, um, so, uh, um, you know, just as with electricity, it's not enough that you somehow be able to get some power sometimes. We care about you know, the reliability that you actually have enough capacity coming into, you know, the neighborhood, into your house to support not just a light bulb, but, you know, your dishwasher, your computer, your uh, refrigerator, you know, everything else that you've got plugged in. So, you know, certainly the same thing applies as, um, you know, we, uh, uh, we look at broadband and, uh, um, you know, we, um, you know, now that we are recognizing that, you know, it's a utility, we need it for uh, basic communications purposes. Uh, I think that, uh, um, you know, part of that factor that goes into it is not just, you know, having it, having something that we call broadband in your neighborhood, um, but uh, looking at things like the speed and the reliability and the uh, uh, cost and looking at all of these together. And, you know, not all, this is not all going to happen at once. There are a lot of different proceedings and, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, the way in which uh, um, this is uh, this is going to evolve, um, and uh, you know, but what what really makes last week's decision so important, um, and what really marks it as the end of a uh, a very important era in the evolution of broadband in this country, um, is that we've had this ten-year debate um, on a decision about how do we want to treat this thing. Um, and what ought to logically follow from that? You know, as, as I said at the beginning, you know, we started out uh, almost uh, ele almost exactly 11 years ago, saying, "Well, the FCC has discretion to decide if this is going to be what's called what was called an information service, meaning something that you were, um, you know, was not essential, something that." Uh, um, you know, you can get or not get, live without, or were we going to treat it like a telecommunication service, a utility that everybody uh, needs to have access to? And for many years now, we've tried to have, uh, you know, we, we've seen people try to have it both ways, particularly the incumbents. When it comes to trying to get states and localities to adopt policies that give them things like free access to right of way or to preempt laws um, in order to encourage deployment. You know, they're like, oh, look at us. We're, we're so special. We're so important. When it comes to upholding the other end of that social contract, well, if you're that important, then you have to be accountable to the public somehow. And we have to make sure that everybody gets access, not just the people you think are the good customers. Then it was like, no, no, no. You know, we're just an information service. You know, can't touch me. We've now made a decision. This is a public utility. This is a thing that everybody needs to have. And, um, you know, uh, um, that's, that's a very big deal. And uh, um, to use the old language that we used to use back in the day, it means that this service is, quote, affected with the public interest. Uh, and that is, you know, a real thing um, that uh, – um, this is not just um, a uh, um, a question of a company offering a service and uh, making a, uh, a profit, um, that it is uh, something that um, actually impacts uh, all of us as a society. And uh, um, while uh, uh, I think the changes, as we've been talking about for the last hour, um, are going to happen. They're not going to happen overnight, um, but I do think that we've come to, um, you know, a uh, uh, a place in our national dialogue about this um, that uh, is very different um, from where we were uh, 11 years ago. And that's a good place to be. Um, now we've got about five minutes or so left. 
I'd like to talk about the um, how do we get people to become uh, well, many public knowledge. I mean, you know, you guys and free press and um, another half a dozen or dozen organizations have fought this fight and it has taken forever and we now have the re- the rewards. How do we get more people to engage? Because there are a lot of people that say they, they complain about their cable companies, they complain about the rates, they complain about having to get those ca- cable boxes, right? We need somewhere... From to go from you know complaining to doing what you guys do, but how do we? What's a what's a good pathway to get the average person who cares to get engaged in the in the fight? Well, you know, I, I think the first thing is to point to to this and to this victory and make it clear, like it does happen. Um, because a lot of times people are like, well, you know, there's nothing I can do. Yeah, I'll write a letter or whatever, but, you know, why should I bother? It's not going to make a difference. These guys have, you know, like all this money and all these lobbyists. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? When enough of us get together, we do win. So, you know, uh, when we started this, even, you know, back in May of 2014, when, you know, the D.C. Circuit had thrown out the old net neutrality rules and the FCC had made a really bad proposal and people were, you know, thinking like, oh, my God, the fix is in, you know, we're, we're, there's no way we can, you know, beat the, the cable companies and the phone companies. We did beat the cable companies and the phone companies. And that's an important message to get out there because, you know, the the folks like us here in public knowledge and, and, you know, free press and others, we can make all of the policy arguments in the world. But um, what puts uh, uh, some real, uh, you know, oomph behind that and makes it work was we had all of these people who were, um, who signed uh, comments, who called their member of Congress. Uh, and let me tell you, we're in an election uh, year right now. You will never have uh, more influence over your member of Congress than right now. And I would just love to see every person go to you know their local uh, Congress, you know their their local congressman that's running for reelection, their local mayor, their local whoever it is that's running, and say, I just got one question for you. You know, are you with the cable companies or were you with us? Because if you're with us, that means I want you to stop protecting the cable companies from competition. I want you to stop shouting about big government and start shouting about treating people fairly and living by the rules. Because these guys are, you know, the, the cable companies, the telcos, they're riding high on the hog here. They've had a very nice run where all you had to do was shout, oh, it's big government, and get uh, um, you know, the FCC to, to go cringing in a corner. Now we actually have an FCC that's trying to act, that's trying to do stuff. And you know, feel free to complain, but pick up the phone and complain to your member of Congress and just say, look, do you work for Comcast or do you work for me? Because, you know, if you're working for Comcast, I can vote for somebody else. <laughs> and that would be a powerful message. And, in fact, when I look at, you know, what the options are for action, and, you know, people say, well, the lobbyists have this money and this and the other, which is true. But I think that if you get enough people to vote for the other person, all of a sudden now – yeah, there is that money that the lobbyists dangle in front of them, but at the same time, it won't matter if more of your constituents vote for the other guy or woman. Yeah, exactly. And and let me just finish here with a little story to illustrate this. So a lot of people talk about how, you know – it was because President Obama got out there and supported reclassifying broadband as Title II, and that just got everything in line and, and made that happen and made you know all the Democrats who had been in Congress who had before been siding with the cable companies switch sides. Well, you know, we're now trying to do this thing with the cable set-top box where 
FCC Chairman Wheeler has come out and said, you know, we need – there's a law that Congress passed all the way back in 1996 that says you should be able to buy your own cable set-top box, and we want to enforce that law. And all the cable guys are going, no, don't do that. And President Obama has come out again and said, we need more competition. I think Wheeler's got a great idea. We ought to have this. Well, you know what? Members of Congress are still, you know, shilling for the cable companies on this. Democrats are going to put are going to support a rider on an appropriations bill to tell the FCC not to open up the set-top box. And why? I mean, after all, we got Obama again, right? We got competition, right? We got uh, you know, Chairman Wheeler and you know all of that, right? Because people aren't calling their member of Congress and saying, "Damn it, you know, let the FCC do its job. Stop shilling for the cable company and start working for me." And if we could get people to just pick up the phone or even just you know call, it's a local call to go to your district while your guy's in town running for office again and say. Damn it, you go back to Washington and you let the FCC do its job and give us competition and stop representing Comcast. That's what's got to happen if people want to see real change. And with that, we got to roll because we are totally out of time. Thank you, Howard. Uh, Howard, Jays. I'm sorry, Harold. <laughs> Thank you for your time and insights. And this has been a very good time and a good show. Thanks a million. Thanks a million for that. I appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. All right. Take and that is going to be it for today. Uh, we'll be back again um, next week. Take care. <laughs>